think we just have to allow them to be themselves and not force them to look like or act like their male peers, but we need to allow them just to authentically be themselves and bring whatever their passion is to this problem solving. You are listening to the Siemens Energy Podcast Series. The energy sector is undergoing an unprecedented transformation, presenting both challenges and opportunities. The demand for energy is increasing worldwide. And at the same time, we must combat the effects of climate change and reduce CO2 emissions. On each episode, we bring you conversations with some of the world's cutting-edge thought leaders in energy and related subjects. Our goal is to help you understand energy, the challenges we face today, and what the future holds. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources. Now, here's your moderator, Amy Pemple. Today's guest on the Siemens Energy Podcast is Lynette Casey, Director of Power Systems Development at Siemens Energy. We had a chance to sit down with Lynette at Sarah Week 2022 to discuss topics such as women in energy, current trends in ESG, supply chain challenges, and advice for other women in the energy industry. So we're recording this here on National Women's Day. And Christina, what has it been like being a woman in energy for the past 20 years? Yeah, being a woman in energy for the last 20 years has changed a lot. For probably the last 18 years, I guess, I'm the only woman in the room in general, especially in my field, which is in sales and within the engineering field. We're just very underrepresented in general, but we're seeing it change. We're actively, you know, as we know, Siemens Energy has made commitments and is actively looking to support and promote women throughout the organization, which has changed it. And then I think we've also put a lot of effort into younger women and, you know, the K through 12 the college women, and uh, even as we bring in some of our rotational programs that we have, we're mindful to bring women into those programs as well. So that's really helped change the demographics. I think we still have a huge long ways to go, but I'm definitely encouraged of how it has changed. But it was very isolating and lonely for the first 18 of those 20 years, I would say. Yeah, and so what are some of the things that you think need to kind of change going forward to kind of really... Um support women um, in their careers? I think we, first of all, need to acknowledge the space, the the place that women really have, especially within our uh, energy industry, especially as we move into decarbonized areas. There's really a passion specifically by young girls that are entering into different STEM education um, fields that they want to help be part of the solution of making our planet cleaner and greener. And they're worried about, you know, their future and their future kids' future. Um, And so they're really willing to jump in and help. And I think acknowledging that the skill sets that women bring, um, collaboration, communication, problem solving, a passion for other people, um, inclusion, like there's a lot that women bring to the table um, that we have to just take advantage of and to see those skill sets for what they are. They're part of the solution to this problem that we have in the, in the energy space. So I think we just have to allow them to be themselves and not force them to look like or act like their male peers, but we need to allow them just to authentically be themselves and bring whatever their passion is to this problem solving. And so I know for you, you were involved in a lot of different things um, and, and really you know, from 
uh, different advanced degrees to taking you know, up books and you know leading a, a chapter of uh, women in energy. Can you kind of just share more about the various things that you're personally involved with? Yeah, I'm involved in a lot of things. <laughs> for like you mentioned, I'm involved with a lot for um, women in energy and women in general. I've always been in a male-dominated field or part of whatever I was doing. I have two older brothers, so I'm the youngest of three, and I just grew up with the guys. I was part of Boy Scouts before I was part of Girl Scouts. I went to, uh, well, as a younger sister that was tagging along, (laughs) I went to um, Maine Maritime Academy for my undergrad, which is a male-dominated school. When I started there, there were probably about 50 women out of 700 students, primarily uh, people that come out of the Maritime Academies go into the Merchant Marine. So then I I started working with the Navy SEALs doing logistics right out of college. Again, I was the only woman in the room at any point in time during this whole time. And so I've just been really passionate always about maintaining connection with other women wherever I was, just so I wasn't the only in the room. I would just try to find like-minded women that were also the only in the room and try to like band together. So as a result of that, I've always just been really involved in between Girl Scouting and volunteering with girls. Um, You mentioned I'm the president of the Women's Energy Network in Boston, which is something I'm really proud of being one of the founding board members. We founded it in 2017. I was when I was in Orlando, I was part of WINS, which was really great, a great employee resource group. But when I moved out to the field in field sales, I was, again, the only woman and really the only Siemens Energy employee out in the field. So I tried to find a network and there wasn't one. So a few of us in Boston banded together and started one. And now we have about 100 members that represent 35 different energy companies in the Boston area. And so it's a great space to give back to other women, but also a great space for me to be able to flex, you know, different muscles that I need to work on. So when I stepped into my presidential role, of course, this year, that gives me an opportunity to kind of hone in my management skills. And I'm now running this board with many other 16 amazing women that all do different things. So I was able to really look at how I would manage and, and translate that into my team even here at work. And so some of the higher education stuff you mentioned, we've really been looking through the Women's Energy Network in Boston about how we give back to the um, college community in Boston and the women who might be coming into the energy field. And so we're partnering with many of the universities. One, notably, we, myself and seven of my WEN members, we uh, mentored groups of Northeastern University students in the fall semester that were part of the energy economics um, class and really um, gave them a project for the semester that is representative of a project that they would have in real life and work. So I was able to get them to do a life cycle, you know, cost of energy problem for the semester and, and mentor them, men and women, through that semester. I spoke at the Northeastern University graduate they have an energy systems society. So I spoke to them last week. Really, I was, I was mentioning, um, really awesome to see the energy and the diversity, the diversity of thought, the diversity of background of those students who have made a choice to go into the energy field as their career. And the questions that they asked were just like awesome to hear and so insightful. So I really find a lot of energy and passion from 
hearing from the uh, younger generation about what their questions are because they have a whole different way of thinking about things that I think we can learn a whole lot from. And it's gonna be part of the, the energy transition solution. And then on International Women's Day, they launched a children's book. So it's targeted for grade four, five, and it's superheroes, women in energy. And I'm highlighted as one of the trailblazers and there are superheroes. And they basically take a walk through the alphabet with women in the energy field and, and talk about all kinds of different careers that you could pursue in energy. And it highlights women. And I think they mentioned it's like 65% diverse women in the book that are highlighted. So they really tried to focus on diversity as well, which is really encouraging. So that, you know, really a, a girl in fourth or fifth grade, when it's so foundational that they're learning math and science, they can see a woman in that career, right? So if they can't see it, they can't be it, right? So we have to show them role models in the books that they're reading that they can check out of their library so that they can say, oh, I could be, you know, a geophysicist. I could be a battery specialist. I could be a, whatever it is, because if they didn't even know those roles existed, how are they ever going to aspire to be that and be part of the solution? So another question I have to follow up on that is what advice do you have for other women who are earlier on in their careers or entering the workforce now? What, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say the advice for younger women going into this for their career is just be yourself because we all have a role to play. And hopefully if there's an ally, right, I mentioned earlier that allowing women to be themselves and be their authentic selves and bring whatever their, their passion is, is huge for an ally. But then the woman also has to embrace that to not be afraid that there are times when you have to, you know, step up and be bold. And we find a lot of those times within our career as we go through this, this in, within energy. So I guess having the courage to just pursue your passion, even if you're the only in the room, you need to have the courage to be the only and to know that, you know, I'm not here to fit in. I'm here because people value my opinion and I'm part of, I'm part of the solution. Another thing you mentioned was that um, you're hearing a lot from your customers uh, about ESG. And so, and so what are you seeing from customers in the U.S. about ESG at the moment? Customers in the U.S. right now, in terms of ESG, it's very interesting and different than what we're seeing, I think, in Europe. So the E, environmental, is very bold in Europe. And we have carbon taxing and scope three greenhouse gas emissions accounting. All of that's very valid everywhere, and we're seeing it in Europe. But the conversation here in the U.S. right now is more on the S, the society. We're seeing from the Biden administration how important Made in America is. Um, huge targets on Made in America. As the U.S. spends all this taxpayer money on the infrastructure bill and changes our uh, energy infrastructure with hydrogen and carbon capture and battery storage, like all of these technologies that we're about to spend a lot of money on, of course, we want to spend it here in the U.S., and so that's a huge factor right now. Our customers are asking us how much percentage of U.S. content. That's the first thing. The other thing, again, driven really by the Biden administration, is an accounting for diverse supply chain. So our customers are asking, there's an executive order that talks all about diversity and an accounting for diversity in the supply chain. And because of that executive order, Anyone who does business with the federal government has to account for this diverse supply chain. 
And so our customers are asking us to report on a regular basis how we were good stewards of their money in our supply chain. So they're asking us, I gave you a dollar. What did you do with it? And oh, by the way, I want you to do this with it. And really what they're prescribing that they want us to do is for sure spend in America, first of all. Second of all, they want specific percentages with diverse supply chain partners. And so there are multiple categories, women-owned, veteran-owned, et cetera, et cetera, of diverse vendors. And they want us to be spending a significant portion between 10 and 30% is really the, what we've seen with diverse supply chain partners. And we have to account for that. And they're very serious about it. They put it in their contracts. They decide um, to award decisions to companies that are going to partner with them on that. So it's it's become really table stakes and very business critical within the within the US really on the diversity conversation. And that's how it differs from from Europe. It's not the E. We still care about the E and there is quite a sustainable movement as well, but right now it's the S. It's the it's society and really the diversity component is huge in the US right now. That's it. great. And so it kind of ties into, you know, you're, you're mentioning some of the supply chain chain challenges that we're facing right now. What other supply chain challenges do you see happening now or in the the future with the energy transition? Yeah, supply chain challenges are a serious thing. Um, Of course, right now we have the horrific crisis that's happening. The whole conversation about energy has changed. When we talk about domestic manufacturing, it might make sense, even financially, if not for all the other reasons, for us to manufacture things that we would otherwise have to transport here in the U.S. because the cost of that transportation is going to be significant. We also see backups of, you know, at the ports, just shipping is not happening as fast as it otherwise would. But then there are serious, like I mentioned, supply chain issues where we don't have the manufacturing capacity of certain things in certain parts of our industry here in the U.S. So we are beholden to other countries. And in the example of battery storage, lithium-ion it's a rare, you know, rare earth metals are at a premium and the electric vehicle boom is competing for the same batteries that grid scale renewable battery installations would. And so there's only a limited number of vendors and we're not a chemicals company. And so we have to look at the supply chain for some of those. And it's, it's tight in a lot of these industries. That's fascinating. And, and so another kind of key part of this entire energy transition is really innovation. And so what are some of the key technologies that you see as critical to this transition? Yeah, uh, critical technologies. I think there are some short and some longer term, right? I think in the short term, we need to be looking at energy efficiency and making sure that any of the equipment that's running is running in tip-top shape. That's first of all, that's the easy, low-hanging fruit. It doesn't matter which industry or in your home, um, as we think about decarbonizing, just energy efficiency and efficiency in operations, right? So we, we have to do that. And there are technologies for that. Um, I think that's an easy, easy one. I think in the more medium term, there are there's a booming industry right now here in the U.S. on solar and storage. Those are two technologies that we absolutely have to be in if we miss the U.S. market. I mean, there's gigawatts upon gigawatts being installed right now. So that's very important. And then I think what we're, the work that we're doing in hydrogen, of course, is going to be huge for as we decarbonize and it, it helps us decarbonize hard to decarbonize sectors. So like 
aviation fuels or marine industry fuels or heavy trucking fuels. We can do that all. Our electrolysis um, enables all of those fuels. So that's kind of in the medium term. And then I think, you know, I'm, I'm in the area of innovation and technology and I, my job is to find first early adopter customers for any new technologies that Siemens Energy comes up with. And so I'm always looking at new things on the horizon. I have been really intrigued by the work that's going on in fusion in particular. Uh, seems a little bit out there. Everybody has said for the last 30 years that fusion is 30 years away. And now I think there are some very interesting organizations out there and startups that are really actually getting pretty close. So fusion would replicate the sun's power in the way the sun produces energy, but put it here on earth. And so like when I was talking to the Northeastern students, there was a, you know, really um, frustrating uh, news story that had come out last week that we're going to miss the 1.5 degree C target. There's like nothing we can do. It's kind of doom and gloom. And, and the kids were all really discouraged by it. And I told them like, no, you, you have to like, remember that there's going to be a new technology. Like there are a lot of smart people working on this problem. So it looks bad this week, but we all put our heads together and all of your passion and energy into the energy space, we're going to problem solve through this. And there's going to be a technology like hydrogen or fusion that will help us get to that 1.5. So all is not lost. And we all, instead of just giving up, we all just need to work together to figure out how to, how to make that work. And so there are some technologies like fusion, I think is a really cool one that could be a huge step change in the energy space in the longer term, but maybe it's medium term now. And so with uh, while technology is really crucial, um, there's also this uncomfortable truth that technology is not the problem. And what would your, would you say to that? Oh, yeah, technology is not the problem. I think there's a, a lot of problems, right? Just like we talk about, there's a lot of solutions. It's an all of the above. And um, here at Sarah Week, we heard John Kerry speak on the first day and he really mentioned about how fuels, right? It's all of the above. You can't say that natural gas, for example, can't be part of the, the conversation. It absolutely has to be part of the conversation and it will be for a while. Same thing from a technology perspective. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pieces. So it's all of the above. It's a big, big problem. There are lots of problems um, beyond technology. There's political problems and siting problems where you can't get permits to place certain things, certain places, right? There's finance problems. There's regulatory problems. There's there a lot of different problems. It's not just technology. I think it's all of the above. And that's why it takes everyone and all of their passions and all of their expertise and all of their, you know, gifts that they can bring to fixing this problem. It's going to take everyone. Final question is, uh, you know, what is something that you believe about energy that others would disagree with? Wow, that's a hard one. What is something I believe about energy that others would disagree with? Wow, <laughs> I should have prepared for this one. I think one thing is when people think energy, sometimes there's um, a misnomer about it being actually something that is so needed. Like we, on one hand, we can't live without energy, right? When we have a power outage and our phones die, we're like, freaking out about it, right? And we're all running out to buy a generator. So on one hand, we can't live without it. But on the other hand, there's a lot of noise and a lot of judgment from society in general that if it's not completely clean energy, it's bad, right? So like 
I think society has to figure out which they want. Do they want energy or do they want like the perfect cleanest molecules and only renewables, right? So I think being in the energy industry is not a bad industry to be in. It's really good industry actually. And I think some portions of our energy industry, maybe specifically oil and gas get a bad rap, but without that, it enables what our entire society is based on. If you imagine if we didn't have energy, we would go back 100, 150 years, right? And think of all the things that energy and electricity empower us to do from healthcare to education to clean drinking water to, I mean, everything, everything in our society is based, I mean, communications, everything is based on the existence of energy. And so I think it's just such a foundational industry to be in. And I think without it, like the whole world shuts down. And I'm not sure that people take the time to stop and um, appreciate it for the modern marvel that it really is. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at Siemens-Energy.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Energy is providing this podcast as a public service. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Siemens Energy. The views expressed by guests and hosts are their own, and their appearances on this program do not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Siemens Energy employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of Siemens Energy or any of its officials.